0: Welcome to Clear Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples. On today's podcast, Ken wraps up our series on original sin, and this time, uh, Ken, you're going to talk about some objections. I think in the last three podcasts, you made a pretty good case for it, Uh, but nevertheless, not everybody has uh, bought into this uh, argument. So, Let's hear about it. Maybe you can give a bit of a recap, and then tell us what some of those objections are.
1: Yeah, thank you, Joe. Um, I think that uh, original sin is uh, a very important biblical doctrine. We looked at that in show number three, but in the two previous, I mentioned uh, the distinguished secular philosopher Keith Parsons, who says, you know, uh, original sin may be Christianity's best argument, and we kind of explored. What Christian thinkers have said. Now, I want to be very clear that there are people who object to original sin, and uh, some of them are non-Christians, but some of them are Christians. And so the idea of guilt in Adam tends to be the really touchy issue that a lot of people question. So I'm going to kind of bring up some of these objections and share with you how I've responded to them, and I think that'll be in a will be in a good place then to have four good shows that have looked, at, uh, you know, with some depth on this important topic. Wonderful, uh, Ken.
0: I wonder if you might define for us once again original sin.
1: Yes, very good. Uh, the word or, the two words original sin don't appear in the Bible. They were coined by Saint Augustine. But here is the definition that John Jefferson Davis gives in his book, Handbook of Basic Bible Texts. He says, uh, original sin refers to, quote, the sinfulness, guilt, and susceptibility to death inherited by all human beings, Christ accepted uh, from Adam. So out of original sin, uh, human beings uh, adopt a corrupt nature, uh, a morally corrupt nature. We die physically and we have guilt and uh, Adam. Uh, uh, the only person who is exempt from that is Jesus Christ. Our Catholic friends, however, would like to argue that the Virgin Mary uh, didn't have the taint of original sin, but I'm not persuaded that that's a solid argument uh, on their part. So original sin, Adam and Eve were our representatives. They broke God's command and uh, we've been suffering for that uh, ever since so i'm going to take it this way joe Um, you know the moral calamity that comes out of that is universal uh, and yet it remains controversial Um, and some people push back on it Uh, not too long ago on social media uh, i had a muslim And interestingly enough, Islam uh, doesn't believe in a radical fall, doesn't believe in original sin. Uh, It actually believes human beings are born good. Of course, that is a real puzzle for me, because I think if you look at the history of all the religions, all the religions have the dark sides. Uh, Unfortunately, that's even true of Christianity, but Islam, I think... um, I don't think I'm being unfair to the religion of Islam to say that they have had a unique problem with violence in the history of their religion. Now, most Muslims, I think, are very peaceful people um, and uh, a loud uh, majority that commits heinous acts can taint the entire religion. Uh, But this Muslim, he said to me that... uh, uh, He said, look, uh, Jesus didn't teach original sin. That was taught by Paul, and um, you've been deceived by it. And so there is no original sin. Uh, Jesus never argued that. Um, Paul is the one who came along and confused everybody. Um, And so I said a couple things to him. I said, look, um, I can make a case for original sin without referring to Paul, just like I can make a case for the deity of Jesus Christ without referencing Paul. So original sin is not dependent upon a single author, even though uh, in the New Testament, Paul is the major advocate of this. I can draw on Old Testament passages, and I can draw on New Testament authors. And then I said, uh, Let's let's apply this personally," he said. "You know, I'm I don't suffer from original sin," and I said, "Well, how about if you stop being selfish, stop being envious, and stop being lustful?" Um, I think that's a that's a fair question given the idea that uh, Islam categorically denies original sin, and I think the answer to that is. Is, is obvious for all of us, Joe. Um, you know, we seem to be right at the core of our being a deep selfishness. If, in fact, as I've studied uh, what Christian thinkers have thought about sin and, and, and look, delved into the Bible, um, Tom Oden has, uh, I, I think he mentions 10 or 12 different terms that are used to describe sin. And it's, uh, in my book, Seven Truths That Changed the World, I look at those in in great detail. But I think if we're to think about sin, uh, hamartia is the Greek New Testament word, to miss the mark, to break the commandments, to suffer a moral blindness. It, it seems to me that right at the core of it is putting the self first. I put myself before God. I put myself before Christ. I put myself before my neighbor instead of loving God with all my heart mind soul and strength and my neighbor is myself I am preoccupied with myself and uh, there was no response from this uh, Muslim to that you know challenge uh, because I think that all people uh, even Christian people who love God they still struggle with selfishness we still struggle with enviousness with lustfulness And so um, I love what G.K. Chesterton says. You know, this is the biblical doctrine that's proved every single day. There's something wrong with human beings. What is it? Where did it come from? Um, I think original sin is is a good way of stating it. Now, there's a a more sophisticated challenge, however, that comes from other Christian traditions. Uh, Remember that Christendom has three major branches. Um, Eastern Orthodoxy, uh, Roman Catholicism, and the Protestant churches, and that is identified in light of two great schisms. Uh, In 1054, uh, the Christian community divided East and West. Um, The the East became the Orthodox, the West became the Catholics, Uh, but then in the 16th century, the Western church suffered a schism, between Catholics and Protestants. So these are the three major branches of Christendom. And then of course, in uh, Protestantism, you have many uh, differing denominations, even non-denominational churches. Uh, I always, I like to point out that there is quite a bit of agreement between those branches when it comes to things like uh, the existence of God, that God is a Trinity, that Christ is God and man that his atonement in one way or another uh, resolves the problem of sin. I think we see this in the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, Um, and yet there are some major uh, critical differences when it comes to authority. Is the Bible the supreme authority, or is the church tradition the supreme authority? Um, What about the role of the Pope? Is he the leader of Christendom? How about grace faith and works how does how do those things uh how do we parse them out in terms of salvation how about devotion to mary those are issues well i had a very thoughtful eastern orthodox uh, christian interact with me on um, social media and he said look um, i believe that people are born with a proclivity to sin But he said, I reject this idea that we're sinners in Adam or Adam's guilt. And again, he thought that's more of the Western church. That's more of uh, Augustine arguing uh, that point. And he also thought that there was kind of an incoherence uh, about original sin. And so I responded uh, to him. uh, So let, let me kind of focus Uh, two points he made. He said, original sin as described in your article seems stronger than simply a universal proclivity to sin, such as conveyed in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then number two, if God actually blames or punishes people for inherent guilt, then it seems to reflect a profound character flaw in God himself. Whoa. So pushback there on two, two important points. Um, I pointed out, of course, that this is a theologically controversial doctrine and that Orthodox Catholics and Protestants have differing uh, ideas, along with a lot of common ground. And so I presented uh, uh, five points to that concern. Now, again, let me just simply summarize the two concerns. It seems that original sin, as you have stated it, can in your article, is uh, stronger than just this proclivity to sin that Paul seems to suggest in Romans 323, all have fallen, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And secondly, that if if God holds us collectively responsible for what Adam did, that seems like God has a character flaw. OK, what did I say? Um, I first point out that I think the, the biblical data for original sin is, is pretty strong. Um, we looked at some of this in a previous show genesis 3 adam and eve uh, rebelled against god um, they suffered uh, a moral breakdown because of that fall they suffered physical death whether they were mortal and by drinking the the, the you know the tree of life eating from the tree of life with that mortality been extended we can debate all those details but they were they became morally corrupt they died physically, uh, and they as representatives were, uh, all of humanity was collectively held guilty. Um, and I I point out in the Old Testament that some of the Psalms that we seem to be sinners from birth, even from the point of our mother's conception, that none of us can really look in the mirror honestly and said, I've kept my heart pure. So my view is that it's not a mere proclivity. It's something deeper than that. Uh, and I there I agree with Augustine. We cannot not sin. We're enslaved, if you will. My second point is, uh, again, I think that this idea of a representative makes sense to me in, in two ways. Um, it makes sense to me, one, as an American and also as a parent, You know, uh, if America goes to war, our commander in chief, uh, he represents all of America. He's not just a private citizen. Um, I think what was so despicable about Oswald shooting the president in 1963 was it was not just the death of a man, a father, uh, a politician, but it was an attack upon the United States collectively. John Kennedy was not just the American president, he was the leader of the free world, this representative idea. I understand that as an American. Uh, as a parent, I am well aware that um, my children reflect me just as I reflected my parents. Uh, and we can we can reflect well on our, our family or badly on our family. This idea of uh, collective responsibility makes a lot of sense to me. I remember a Chinese Christian at a speaking engagement I had years and years ago uh, talking about this subject. She said, you know, we Chinese people, we have a collective identity that seems, uh, she goes, I'm not sure other people in parts of the world appreciate that. So I think in the ancient world, people did think of themselves uh, collectively. Now, I want to move to a third uh, point. And that is this, if inherited guilt is a logical contradiction, then so is inherited righteousness. So uh, the problem here is that Paul, I think Paul's central metaphor concerning salvation turns or trades on the bookkeeping analogy. Uh, Jesus has credit, we have debit, but there's an exchange. So I come back to the idea, if if there is a flaw in God for holding us accountable in Adam, is there also a flaw in God holding us, uh, holding Christ responsible for what we did? So, is that a flaw? Uh, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a moral flaw on the part of God. I, I think that God thinks about humanity sometimes differently than we think about ourselves i think god has a collective view of human beings not just an individual view but also a collective view and so if if you suggest that there is some kind of logical flaw or a moral fault on god i would say um, look i i like a lot of the emphases that eastern orthodoxy brings i love that they really stress the Trinity, I think more than the Western Church does. I give them uh, praise for that. They also prize the incarnation. And I think what's critical about that, Joe, is Jesus has to be the God-man in order to save us. He has to represent God and man. Uh, Salvation can't come through mere creature. Uh, Yahweh is the only Savior. Jesus is the extension of Yahweh a lot about Eastern Orthodoxy I love. And sometimes the Orthodox agree more with Protestants than they do with Catholics. Although I think it's fair to say most of the time on these big issues, Orthodox and Catholics agree uh, more together than than with Protestants. So um, I'm again going to make the point that um, if you don't like being held accountable in what Adam did, why why is it okay for uh, Paul the Apostle to emphasize salvation by faith, this great exchange? And I wonder there, if that's not part of the Christendom debate, Joe, that in the East, there isn't a strong emphasis upon the judicial metaphor of salvation. Uh, rather, you have this, this idea of deification, theosis. So you have kind of a different emphasis, uh, and and that's important, I think, to recognize. The branches of Christendom have a lot in common, but sometimes their emphases comes at different states. So the central metaphor in Eastern Orthodoxy, uh, and I think we could inc- we could include the Oriental Orthodox, which would be like the Coptic, um, that it's Christus Victor, Christ comes into the world to break the uh, the evil of the devil. Well, I think even that supports original sin and all of these ideas. So if, if there's a flaw with God, um, it seems to be also a flaw with the gospel. And maybe it's not enough of an appreciation of, uh, I don't think I'm being, uh, I don't think I'm being prejudiced as a Protestant to say, Paul seems to be very interested in this question of our judicial standing before God. And that Luther, and I, 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 uh, I think to understand Protestantism, you have to understand Luther. Luther is a monk in the Augustinian monastery. He's praying, he's confessing his sins, he's flagellating himself, he's doing everything to try to be a perfect monk. And he begins to realize, man, uh, it's really hard to be good. And uh, you know, he struggles. He he says that rather than loving God, he's, he began to hate God. He figured God was just watching him, condemning him at every moment. His uh, spiritual advisor Johann von Staupitz said, "You know, Martin, uh, I think I've got a solution for you that may help you with your deep." Uh, troubled heart about sin. He says, I think you need to study scripture, which was a monumental recommendation because Luther began to study particularly Paul's writings of Romans and Galatians and came away with the idea that we're justified not by faith and works, but by faith alone. But that faith alone does work. Now, uh, Again, as we Christians talk with one another, um, maybe part of the pushback we get from our Eastern Orthodox friends with regard to original sin is because they're emphasizing something differently. Now, I also think you get it from the radical Reformation. So, you have uh, in the Reformation, you have largely two parts you have the magisterial Reformation, and you have the radical Reformation. Uh, you know, the Radical Reformation. You have the Mennonites. You have all of these particular groups that come out of that branch. And, um, you know, original sin in their mind, that's Romanism. That's that's what we want to get away from. But if you look at the Lutherans, the Reformed, the Anglicans, the Baptists, they tend to have a very robust view of, of original sin. So I think some of those are part of it. Let me pause and see if You have a question or a comment before we look at a few other issues. Yeah, Ken, I appreciate
0: how you talked about Adam as our federal representative, and then Christ, the second Adam, also being our representative, because it seems to me that uh, if we don't uh, take both representatives, then we would have to be crucified ourselves. And it doesn't seem like that's the end of the issue, because then we would have to be resurrected raise ourselves you see what i'm talking yeah. about so it's good to have christ as our second adam
1: <laughs> i i think you've you've hit it right on target joe that you know jesus is in a sense um, the second adam and that's a very critical part i think of the apostle paul's understanding now that leads us right into a fourth point and Again, I want to say, I think this idea of a mere proclivity, um, in my mind, that means a tendency to do something regularly and an inclination or a predisposition. But that's that doesn't seem to me, Joe, to do justice to the biblical data. So in scripture, uh, and here I am borrowing from Tom Oden, the distinguished Methodist theologian, he said that sin can be called disobedience evil, inequity, lawlessness, transgression, trespass, ungodliness, unholiness, unrighteousness. I don't think that proclivity uh, is a match for what the New Testament says about sin. And Jesus in John 8, 34 talks about our enslavement to sin. Uh, First John, it says... uh, you know, if you say you're without sin, you got a big problem. Uh, no one can totally stop sinning. And again, I bring us back to these really, you know, maybe I I don't think this afternoon I'm going to rob a bank. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not going to hijack anything in the afternoon. But could I be susceptible to envy or pride or selfishness or lust? Well, let's just speak candidly to one another. Uh, Sin has a strong influence even on people who genuinely know God, and so that extension moves further. So I am critical of the idea that we have a mere proclivity to sin. I think it's much stronger than that. Um, uh, In fact, I think it's a defining feature of us as human beings that there is a there's a fatal flaw now um uh you know uh, i i also want to say in 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 christian redemption god is both the offended party and the one who pays for the offense and again i think that's analogous to a, a parent who attempts to help their children while even suffering loss. Uh, this quality seems to reflect not a God of flaws, but a God of love and grace. So I, uh, I think original sin is a coherent idea. It is mysterious. There are reasonable questions that can be raised uh, against it. But I, I think that uh, Keith Parsons, when he says this is something Christianity gets right, I think that that's very revealing. And of course, what I wanna do at that point is to say, I think a powerful way of doing apologetics, Joe, is to say that if uh, that, that the existence of God and the, the Christian worldview has explanatory power. It can explain the human condition. It can illuminate the human condition. And um, I think if you get rid of a strong view of sin, you also get rid of a strong view of grace, and you know there are these heresies that come up. And I'm I'm not suggesting that any of the branches of Christendom are Pelagian, but that is a very challenging question of, uh, you know, what about the human will? What about the fallen condition? And I'm going to say this: I think Augustine got it right. It corresponds, I think, biblically and it corresponds to uh, you know, my situation. Now, um, another point that that this uh, Eastern Orthodox Christian raised, and he's a professor of philosophy, so he's an astute person. He said in reply, um, uh, let me clarify, let me ask you to clarify something. He said, the information seems to be that we're born sinners and cannot save ourselves. And the explanation seems to be that we're born sinners and cannot save ourselves. Restating the information does not seem like a good explanation of the information. Now, um, at that point, I turned to him and said, well, I'm going to ask you to consider it uh, in an abductive way. Um, you know." There is a third form of reasoning different than deductive and inductive, although some, some logicians view abduction as a type of uh, induction. But abductive reasoning has to do with the plausibility of things. Do things, the inference to the best explanation is another way of referencing it. And I said, you know here I'm gonna, here I'm going to bring up Blaise Pascal, Pascal, is known for saying humans are an enigma of greatness and wretchedness. And uh, I, I point out uh, that humans have both those qualities um, and that the Christian worldview is trying to make sense of that. Greatness because of the Imago Dei, brokenness, sinfulness be, because of the fall and that um, you know this this makes a lot of sense. I I will bring up Hugh Ross here at this point. Many years ago, Hugh and I had a discussion about the Darwinian view of human beings as opposed to a biblical perspective of creation. And Hugh said that he thought human beings are worse and better than what evolution would predict. Uh, Better because of the Imago Day, worse because of the fall. It's not just a matter of survival. Uh, the Nazis in World War II, at least for the first three years of the war, Joe, they were winning. They had control over um, large parts of Western Europe and Eastern Europe. Um, they, they committed vile uh, w- things that are unspeakable in in, uh, murdering people. Um, When Reinhard Heydrich was assassinated by two allied individuals, uh, Hitler said, wipe out a whole town, uh, you know, in revenge. I, I think people are more evil than evolution can explain. And yet humans are also an enigma because they use their greatness as part of committing the evil it's because we're so clever that we can do these uh evil things so that is my way of looking at it now now again i don't i don't want to lose sight of the fact that uh why are, why do human beings engage in slavery and every every culture did i can't think of any culture that didn't have slaves i I make the point with my postmodern friends, with my, mo- with my woke friends, when we have dialogues, I say I don't think that slavery is necessarily a, a white problem. I think it's a human problem. Um, Native Americans enslaved each other. Um, Africans enslaved each other. Not trying to uh, offer an excuse trying to look at an explanation uh, that that our sin runs very deeply. So slavery, how about the Holocaust? Um, I I think, I'm very concerned, Joe, that young people, and I, I mean by young people, 35 and younger, they know so little about the 20th century, little about the Holocaust. Uh, many of a quarter, I think, cannot even identify what the Holocaust was. Um, When you begin to look at the systematic extermination of an entire race of people, and that's not the only Holocaust. Slavery, uh, the Holocaust, human trafficking. What did Jesus say? If you harm a little one, it'd be better if they put a millstone around your neck and threw you into the sea. Of course, that's the point of my hope. My hope is that there will be a judgment day there will be an eternal life where god will take all the broken straws and he'll make them straight he will give justice and mercy um so you know abortion i'm i'm sorry but how many how many innocent babies have been destroyed um it seems that human beings and 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 most many of those abortions were for matters of convenience. They were birth control. I'm I'm pregnant. I don't want to be pregnant. Um, it, it seems to me that sin is greater than a mere proclivity, uh, to sin. And I don't think that this somehow creates a moral flaw for God. Um, I I I think there. I think that the gospel itself trades on the issue of, of responsibility of groups now now i have a another series of objections brought to me by evangelicals but i want to pause and see if if what you want to say about some of this material
0: i'm tracking go ahead ken
1: okay now i had another evangelical christian approach me and um uh, they said a couple things. Uh, children become morally culpable through committing their own sin as soon as they're able to do so. Um, and uh, essentially, the argument was, you know, what about toddlers? Don't they have to reach an age of accountability? And um, another criticism was, you know, people don't really hold this view anymore. Um uh, you know, this this is just not not fair. It's not it's not reasonable, uh, and that was an evangelical, you know, pushing back. Um, and he said he wanted to play devil's advocate. I always like to respond. The devil doesn't need an advocate. He's pretty good at what he does. But that was just my joking. Okay, a couple responses to this. Um, all of uh, Christendom affirms it. It it is just the guilt in Adam that again uh, is the one that makes it uh, very controversial. And so, um, both Orthodoxy and the Radical Reformation of you know, the Anabaptists uh, they had a very strong view of you know the Church and the Magisteria it should not be associated and so they, they push back on, on that context. Um, and I, I agree with him that most modern people don't think this way. But uh, the question is not whether modern people think this way or what we think is unfair. The question is, does the Bible teach it? And Psalm one five, Psalm 58.3, Proverbs 29, Romans 5.10-12. I think you can make a pretty robust case for original sin. Uh, I again brought up my view that I think the gospel message trades on original sin. If you're troubled, why God would judge us for what Adam did? Do you have the same objection when it comes to God holding Christ morally responsible for what we did? Not what he did, but what we did. But it, it does seem that that, that basic uh, bookkeeping analogy uh, is, is something that we, we discover. And again, I, I made the point, um, uh, what words does the Bible use about sin? Disobedience, evil, iniquity, lawlessness, transgression, trespass, ungodliness, unholiness, unrighteousness, wickedness. Does that seem like a mere proclivity? Um, not in my view. Uh, I I often make the point, Joe, that I think sin is a bigger problem than most of us realize. The good news is Christ is a much greater Savior than any of us could ever picture. And um, I think that's really Paul's point. Uh, yeah, sin's got us. It's convicted us. It's beat us. It's killed us. Uh, we have no out. And then the second Adam comes, and he does what what none of us could ever conceive of. He takes our guilt and he gives us his righteousness. And um, boy, uh, I don't want anybody to consider their sin without considering uh, the grace of God. Okay, Uh, what else can we uh, bring up uh, to bear? I I, again, I explained to him that I think the human condition, the universality of sin, it's better explained. And I I guess what I'm really saying, Joe, is I think in some respects, people in the ancient world had a clearer view of things than people in the modern world. I mean, there is the issue of, you know, uh, uh, this idea that, you know, people living right now, they have much greater insight than people of the past. Um, But I I don't know that that's always the case. Um, I think there are times where people in the ancient world probably had a greater grasp of reality than people in the modern world. Uh, Also the age of accountability, um, that is a debated point. I don't doubt that children grow in their understanding, in their moral understanding, in their personal responsibility I think we can clearly say that human beings grow in all of those processes, but in terms of sin, is it it an ontological issue? That is, is sin a matter of being, or is it merely an act of doing? It seems to me the Bible talks about both, doing and being, a sin nature, uh, that human beings have this congenital problem uh that it's that it's passed on um so those are some of the some of the points now you know one more um is ezekiel 18 20 this is one that i get a lot of pushback on it says the one who sins is the one who will die the child will not share the guilt of the parent nor will the parent share the guilt of the child the righteousness of the ra- the righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them." So I have people uh, who are evangelicals. They say, look, Ken, isn't this an example that you can't hold the father responsible for what the son did? Each of them have to be held accountable. Um, an evangelical said to me, look, I God's going to judge me for what I've done. And that's a lot. He's not going to judge me for what Adam did. Um, well, I think, again, you want to look at these passages carefully. And when I look at the Ezekiel passage, um, I don't think this applies to the fall. I think the issue that's being dealt with is uh, accountability in terms of not not blaming somebody else. I think the real issue here is the typical scenario since the garden is to blame somebody else, and 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna apply it to myself. Um, I think there is just this tendency to say, okay, you know, I I'm sorry I've had these problems, but you know, it's the way I was raised. My, you know, I I had a I had a difficult past, or, um, you know, I have a certain disposition. You know, I eat too much, and uh, you know that's part of my genes. And I want to, you know, I want to blame it on something else. Or, uh, you know, my doctor says, you don't exercise enough. Well, you don't know the stress that I have in my life. Um, I think there's always the tendency to to blame it somewhere else. Um, and maybe to forget, um, as I often do, how much my parents gave me, uh, how many good things that that i have and so i think what's really happening here is that uh, they're referencing this idea to want to blame other people if it's not me it's my dad it's not me it's you know it's my culture no uh the lord's going to sort all of that out but i don't think ezekiel 18 verse 20 rules out the idea of original sin and And here, just very briefly, Joe, I'm going to come back to Romans 5. Uh, Verse 12, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. Uh, Then verse 15, many died by the trespass of the one man. One trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. Verse 18, through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. Verse 19, I'm sure there are alternative explanations. I'm held captive to, to that. I, I think I have a pretty sound exegetical uh, understanding of, of what's been made. And uh, uh, let me give you a quotation um, from R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul, uh, one of the most articulate teachers I have ever had the pleasure of listening to. When I was a young man, um, somebody turned me on to some of his cassette tapes and I would listen hours to R.C. Sproul. And I came away thinking, he's a model that I want to copy in terms of his clarity. And uh, so he was a a mentor without ever knowing it. I never met R.C., but he had a big influence on me. He says this, they try to blame someone else for their own misdeeds. That human activity has gone on since the fall. That that human activity has gone on since the fall. But that is about all this passage has to do with the fall. In the fall, Eve blamed the serpent and Adam blamed both God and Eve for his own sin. I don't think Ezekiel... Um, is a powerful case against uh, original sin. And uh, Joe, I just want to kind of underscore what we've talked a little bit about in these four programs that, um, you know, Keith Parsons says that the Christian view of the fallenness of human beings is spot on. And I think that's right. And I think that that is a powerful concession I think that when we realize that there is both a greatness and a brokenness, a greatness and a wretchedness um you know sometimes I look at the language that is in the Book of Common Prayer when in our liturgy in the Anglican the Reformed Anglican Church that I attend um they talk about hey I'm a righteous you know I'm I'm a, a wretched sinner and I remember one uh, pastor saying in his sermon that, if you uh, don't conclude that you are the greatest of all sinners, you, you you're not very cognizant of what you're thinking about sin. Uh, I think sin has a lot of explanatory power. I think it explains the human condition. I think of I think the Christian worldview, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. I think it makes sense of where we're at. I think it's better than what Freud said, I think it's better than what our health, wealth, and prosperity people say. I think it's better than the secular interpretation. Um, And I think it confirms that the Bible, in the ways in which we contest it, uh, comes off as practically true. And... uh, I hope to write more about this. I I started writing articles about original sin and it just kind of expanded because I got more questions and more objections. And and I'm hoping in the future to write something that will delve into some of these. I do part of that in Seven Truths That Changed the World, but I'd like to look at some of the explanatory power of it. And so I'm hoping these four programs have been very helpful very instructive. And even if you disagree with me or Augustine or the Western concept of original sin, that this will help you, you know, to dig a little deeper.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, Ken. I think you've applied some clear thinking to this topic. And I know I've appreciated it. I'm sure our listeners have as well. Uh, let us know. Give us your feedback. Uh, if you have a comment or question. You can reach out to Ken via Twitter at RTB underscore K samples. And we'll be glad to read your comment or take that question here on the podcast. Uh, Get Clear Thinking sent to your device by subscribing to the Reasons to Believe podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and most podcast services. For Ken Samples, this is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Clear Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ, our creator and savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at reasons.org.